and then veggie samosas. Oh god, mm, I'm nice. salivating. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> and then also I'm getting Bombay potatoes, which is just the best potato dish I've ever had in my whole life. I would say Dongaloo. Dongaloo's potatoes. Oh, well, we have a potato snob in the building. <laughs> well, that's been the Curry View, the only podcast about the curries Fraser has recently had and will shortly consume. I've been Louis. Uh, I've been Fraser. And welcome to our B-side production, Be Positive, the positive B-movie podcast with Fraser. Uh, and Louis, still me. And today we're joined by special guest Brent Streeter. Welcome, Brent. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, so, Brent, I don't, I don't really know you. Um, what exactly qualifies you to be on our very smart podcast? Good question. I would have to go with that I'm a film fundi. Studied film, watch films, mm, 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 write mm, films, mm, you know, mm-hmm, do all those mm-hmm, film mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, let me let me ask you this. Have you ever talked about films? Not online or on the air, <laughs> but in a close-knit um, circle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's perfect. This is exactly what this is. We're a very close-knit circle. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome, Brent. Thank you. Yeah, so today we are doing actually a requested film called Fireside Tales by Catch Me, Kill Me Productions. So this is an interesting situation. We received the request from the filmmakers themselves, but we want to reassure the listener, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go soft on them, okay? We're not gonna pander to them, we're not gonna show any bias. That being said, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Total masterpiece. Best movie ever. The new Citizen Kane? Uh, it may be. I personally feel like you should pay your children to watch this movie. Yeah, I, I was literally like worshipping the floor as I watched that film. <laughs> <laughs> of course, uh, this is not the case, uh, because we would never have a movie that good on our podcast. Besides the fact that all of our movies are masterpieces in their own right. And also, I haven't seen Citizen Kane. Yeah, that's... uh, Maybe you're not qualified to be on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I've I never said it. I would. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also have not seen Citizen Kane, so maybe you're overqualified to be on the podcast, Brent. Uh, perhaps. I mean, I've <laughs> dabbled in film theory, so... <laughs> Okay, so Fireside Tales is an anthology film that follows a group of friends in the framing narrative. A group of friends go somewhere in the desert to light a campfire, have a drink, and then have a really juvenile, uh, scary storytelling competition. I think, I think it's somewhere in Arizona. It's all shot in Arizona. And that's already quite interesting that they've moved away from the woods that one would expect from this kind of film and taken it to more of a scrubland location. Almost like a savanna looking type thing, but with hills. Uh, I did I did pick up quite a bit of uh, the hills have eyes in the location and in all the generic killers. In fact, they, they mention it outright. In that first story. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so I think instead of doing a normal plot synopsis like we usually do, for this anthology, we'll just take the episodes. The stories. The stories, yeah. The little tales that they're telling. Yeah. And what I like about this movie, it's got a very honest style. I feel like it's it's not uh, pretentiously written. 
the characters are all idiots. <laughs> and, you know, it's just very naturally written. There are a, a, a couple of things that I can't really get on board with, but we'll get into those. The first thing that I don't really feel comfortable with is that the writer is actually playing himself in the movie and there's quite a lot of groping of of the actresses which is not okay because you wrote that uh... they they clearly wrote this role for themselves and they were like i'm gonna have me some of that and that's not a good thing it's it's actually a little bit exploitative yeah i mean at the very beginning they spoke about like the chivalry and and the rest of the film was basically death to chivalry. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, who, which character is portrayed by the writer? Uh, Justin, playing Justin. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it seems like there are a few moments in the film that really only exist as, as a sort of male gaze or a, or a male fantasy. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think... Yeah. Yeah, we, we might as well just jump right into uh, the first story, I guess. Undertow. Which is called Undertow. And this is a story about people getting killed by a man who lives in a, in a lake. Um, and a burrow. Well, it's in a burrow. They kept doing that, like, oh, yeah. that shot to the whole... Oh, yeah. <laughs> They were leading on with the uh, hole, but uh, uh, I mean, we, the first time we see this killer, he does pop out of a river like Jason Voorhees. Uh, instead of a ma- machete, though, he's swinging a pipe. He's got that pipe. He's laying pipe. Yeah, that's, I mean, more the he'll have eyes, vibes, them hill- hillbillies. <laughs> and I'm sure, like, you can't, for copyright reasons, you can't use a machete as well as, like, a disfigured face and kind of a a hokey suit because they'll be like hey what's jason doing in my movie in your movie oh god damn it and he he does have sort of in the makeup he does look you know a little waterlogged and a little bloated well he was doing the crocodile thing so he was he was down there for quite a while it's like oh it's an alligator (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh no an alligator (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you know uh almost almost immediately uh when this story starts we get a really tight close-up of an actress's butt yes i think they could have zoomed in because i i get what they were going for but i think they could have zoomed in further you know to transform the butt into into a textureless surface to yes exploit that male gaze and take it to such an extent that it is no longer even meaningful yeah kind of uh turn that male gaze into into satire almost like abstraction yeah 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 um that's what i think this film really is it's it's a satire of the awfulness and the tiredness and the infertility of horror movies and maybe especially of the slasher genre yeah i would definitely agree with the slasher genre they they're going more like too hard sexy vibe and not enough really slasher or gore horror you know the typical old school 80s slasher yeah it's almost by kind of using nudity in some really unmotivated places. Yes. It's it's like they're telling us 
you know, that's what these horror movies are doing. They're just throwing you this biscuit, you know, to keep you invested as a, as a dumb male. And they're kind of turning that against us by making it absolutely nonsensical. You know, you could take a, a different kind of look at it. Uh, there's this one quote from just before the, the nudity and the killer actually shows up. So Brenna, before she goes to the river, she is lying uh, tanning in the sun in her in her bathing suits. And she says, this is a direct quote, by the way, this is what those kids in Africa must feel like. Yeah, yeah, with that intense heat bearing down on her. Yeah, and that was, I mean, that was kind of inappropriate. I get that sometimes uh, when you're doing high comedy like they were doing, you have to go to an uncomfortable place to get that reaction. You know, that, that probably is what the kids in Africa feel like. Like, just really chill, having a tan. Yeah, yeah, having a drink, having a tan. That's sweltering heat. Just another day in Africa, man. Yeah. Basically. Well, you're in Africa. Are you, are you tanning at the moment? I'm literally tanning right now. Oh, wow. Well... Glad I caught you at a relaxed time. <laughs> it's the, yeah, the acoustics time. must be great outside. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a problem. It's a real problem. Tired of touching your knees? Do you feel like a nice pair of boneless tendrils would be a better fit? Shed your flimsy human meat suit today and try out the latest flavor of Zolo Maxiloft Chewables for Kids. Cosmic Strawberry Flavor. Live the intense psychedelic experience of watching your physical body waste away while reality dances around your soon-to-be corpse. This product is not intended for human use. Avoid looking directly at it. Zolo Maxiloft. Not even once. So what I found most interesting is actually what happens after the story is complete. Because, I mean, what really happens is they'll just get beat to death with the pipe, I think. Yeah. yeah, and, and hanged. Yeah, yeah, one of them gets hanged. But what's funny about this anthology is that the stories themselves are extremely bland. Uh, not a lot happens in the stories. And what we end up with is... Basically just watching this group of people implode. Yeah, absolutely. Whilst they tell terrible stories. But I mean, that's like a typical fireside story anyway. So I guess they captured that. I suppose so. But I think, you know, what what makes it interesting for me is afterwards when they start talking about this story. When, you know, they sort of, his friends begin ripping into him for telling such a dumb story. And like, you know, why did it end like this? Why did she not run? Why did she read? something from the bible in the middle of running away and then he he's he asks them oh didn't you see this the teeth coming out the side of his mouth and of course the answer should be no no because you just told us a story <laughs> yeah but in that way i think the filmmakers are letting us know that this film is actually about film interesting he also says that his story stars his friends. Like he says, oh, and in this one, we're using whoever, Brenna, Susanna, and Tim. Which is kind of a bizarre way to tell a story. Yeah. I mean, also what I noticed was at the end of every story, one of them would pipe up and say, oh, you know, did you did you see my character there? Did you, did you pick up that I was this person? So, I mean, they'll constantly... Mm comparing each other to these characters in their stories um yeah and in that way almost in the same way that you talked about earlier fraser 
it's as if these people, while they're telling their stories, are also using it as an opportunity for kind of wish fulfillment. Because uh, immediately after the the story ends, the males of the group, they start ripping on each other for either they're claiming that they have incredible sexual prowess or they're mocking each other's lack of penis size. I mean, that goes to show a big insecurity in that group. And if they're telling stories like that about each other and working each other into the story, it's a very dysfunctional friend dynamic Mm. that they have going because it's very judgmental, I would guess. Which is quite interesting because at the very beginning of the film, uh, when Donna and Justin... Justin, yeah. Yeah. When they... Scott. Scott. Yeah, Scott. Okay. Uh, When they drive up and arrive at the camp, the fire and she she speaks up saying oh this is the first time i'm meeting your friends uh what if they don't like me and then he says well basically i'll have to get new friends so which i think he should do anyway <laughs> yeah if he's still alive well actually oh, yeah. uh, none of them should actually have any friends they yeah. don't deserve it this is true this is true uh i also felt that maybe their constant comments about uh sexual prowess could indicate uh, that they are actually suffering from erectile dysfunction. I think they probably are all compensating for micro penises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Like, I just did what they were constantly doing. No, they probably have fine penises, I'm sure. But that's, you know, a lot of the film is just them talking about penis size and then using that as, as some kind of metric for social standing within the group. Yeah. They do have a very uh, unique dynamic in the way that they arrange their small society. Yeah. And I found it interesting that the dialogue, like you said, it's unpretentious. It's very basic. It's, you know, it's not dialogue that's really very crafted or no, it's, very well just, thought out. Yeah, I would say it's basically down to earth. Yeah. It's, it's what people do outside of film in reality. You know, everyone has to pipe in. Everyone has these dynamics in our friend groups. So it's, you know, it's it's quite the good portrayal of the outside world. Yeah. And I think, you know, how he really makes that interesting is even though the dialogue is that kind of, you know, man on the street sort of style, it's delivered in a very stilted kind of way, which I think was a very interesting choice. Yeah, because it looks almost as if... Uh, the actors don't know their lines. So it's almost, in a way, mm. it has that improvisation feel. Yeah. So I think let's uh, rush right along to the next the next story, uh, which is masterfully titled uh... as Axe-Wielding Badman. Oh, wow. It's a good name. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a solid name. I, I personally was terrified. It tells you everything you need to know. What are we talking about? An axe. What's happening with the axe? It's being wielded. By whom? A man. Not just any man, a bad man. (laughs) It is kind of a synopsis of all of the stories, though. (laughs) It is. They just kind of switch masks and uh, edged weapons. Yeah. All right. So the axe-wielding bad man, he chops a jogger in half. The jogger's Mm -hmm. father goes to look for her with a shotgun. Because uh, he has assumed that potentially the worst has happened and he is driven by his thirst for revenge. 
Revenge. And it's also here where we start seeing some of the really great shots of the film where mm. they are clearly using a drone. And it's sort of like a breath of fresh air every time that you get the drone shot there because it it's the only shot that's not directly the male gaze. And it's steady <laughs> and it's very beautiful, very picturesque footage. Yeah. Yeah, some very good cinematography in those shots. Uh, you guys might be underestimating the cinematography in the rest of the of the film <laughs> because there's this really there's this really interesting thing that he does where he's framing both characters in a dialogue in in one frame, but they don't quite fit in. So instead of telling the actors to just stand a little bit closer together, we have these two chopped off people at, at the very far edges of the frame and a, and a large central void where nothing happens. And that really speaks to me. You know, the, it, it speaks to a sense of alienation. It mm-hmm. speaks to a sense of, of loneliness and misunderstanding. And I don't think many filmmakers would be brave enough to take that direction and and really, really go for it. Yeah, I mean, also, it removes focus off a central character. Mm. And they're both on either side of the frame. Then there's nowhere to really focus. Everyone gets their own level of popularity, I guess. Equality, Uh, you know. Yeah, equality. It's almost like a visual representation of ADD. Because you're not focusing on anything. You're just staring into dead space. And there's a movie happening in the background. But, eh, couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of of layers to to the cinematography here. Also, here with the axe-wielding Batman, we start to get a sense of the storyteller's own perception of women. As this axe-wielding bad man has long hair, he chooses to wear the face of a female victim, very Ed Gein, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I was just listening to last podcast on the left series about Ed Gein, and he used to dress up in human faces and go screaming outside. And that's that's sort of what this the axe-wielding bad man is also doing. It's almost in a way... While he's killing people, he's also shrieking. It's like he's equally traumatized about the murders. The the violence he inflicts on others is also the violence he inflicts on himself. Yeah. And then at the end, of Although course, Revenge literally. Dad uses his shotgun and blows him away. Quite easily, actually. It's, it's uncommon to see yeah. a, a classic slasher trope like that go down from, you know, getting shot twice with a shotgun. Usually they just keep getting back up. Yeah. There was this fantastic, like, three-minute scene where the killer is just screaming in pain from being shot. And then the double tap. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta have that double tap. (laughs) But, yeah, it's funny that the killer's screeches of pain and his screeches of, I'm guessing, slasher delight are exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. I guess it creates his own level of humanity. You know, it brings him down to earth. It's not this... Yeah. All almighty evil slasher. It's just a, another person who's just mentally deranged. Ill. Yeah. Ill. Yeah. Yes. Really, we should feel a lot of sympathy for him. We should, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, the scale is a bit too heavy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, he did kill a bunch of people with an axe, so... Yeah. He also drags the axe for some reason. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't look like a very heavy axe. No, I think it's for effect. He's sort of dragging it, the axe on gravel, and, you know, they they really uh, push the sound of the axe being dragged, dragged, drugged, drugged. 
right? The truck, the truck, yeah, the truck. He drugged the axe. <laughs> drugged, <laughs> dragged the axe. He drugged the axe, and uh, yeah. it makes it makes quite a tense noise. You you know, it's not. It's very yeah. grating. It's very harsh on the ear, and it would add to the terror being felt by whoever he's pursuing. But he does walk very slowly, and his victim is running. And I don't know. I actually have no idea how he catches yeah. up to her because you could just walk away from him at well, the pace he was going. He starts running after her at some point. He picks up his axe and just starts running. Oh, does he? Yeah. Uh, oh, I, does he? Okay. I've gone. I must have checked out. Uh, <laughs> another thing I wanted um, to talk about uh, with the hmm. axe dragging. Correct me if I'm wrong. I got a very Jeepers Creepers from it uh the way oh, yeah. that jeepers creepers drags his weapon along the road or yeah. some surface it really feels like the killer himself was inspired by that film yeah. that that's another kind of metafilmic element here yeah i did notice that in all all the stories all the killers are based off some previous slasher and you know a lesser critic might call that derivative but we here at be positive prefer to take a, a different route. Yeah, I mean, it's like a nice cameo. Easter egg, per se. Yeah, it's a, a metaphoric commentary, is what I'm saying. Yeah, it does play quite nicely into that theory you have of they're pushing you, they're trying to let the viewer know that the slasher is dead. It should stay dead and we should move on to new tropes. I mean, the slasher is, uh, what, as a genre, it's 30, almost 40 years old. It's getting on in the years, and it's time to come up with something new. No one's afraid of Jason anymore. Yeah, absolutely. They're not telling us what to do. They're just asking the question, you know, and that's that's why this film is so important. Mm. I, I like imagining Tim telling this story because that would mean that for, you know, at least a minute around a campfire, he was just describing someone taking a shower. Oh, yeah. For... No apparent reason. Well, I mean, he kind of does mention it after the story because it was Brenner once again. Yeah. They just talk about, oh, why do you always choose her? And he says, well, everyone visualized you and who hasn't seen you with your her sh shirt off? And like the entire campfire yeah. raises their hand. It just seems like a very strange narrative choice. You know, something that doesn't really impact the story. And yet, I suppose he goes into great detail about the shower scene. Yeah, and then as soon as his, his story finishes, it becomes clear that we have two main storytellers here and that they are competing with each other to tell mm. the scariest or the most metafilmic sort of story <laughs> that they can. I think the terror here comes with how you can recreate previous trope it's almost like you know when you xerox something a lot yeah like over and over and over it feels like that's kind of w what this movie is you know it's it's like jason it's like a jason film that's been copied too many times yeah the the machete is smudged into a lead pipe the jason seems a little bit shorter a little bit wider everything's slightly distorted Although, if I'm not mistaken, there was a machete and more of a Jason Lee mm. figure in the third story. Yeah, the Tormentor. Yes. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. I had that title down as something something sisters? 
<laughs> kind of messed up. The sisterhood of the traveling text. Oh, traveling tormentor. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> this third story, we're going back to the initial storyteller. Uh, he's gonna top the story of the axe wielding bad man, which I mean, it's gonna be a toughie to top that. Oof. Mm. So he goes with the objectively boring title of the tormentor, and we basically get. Uh, three women t- having a ladies' night in or whatever, and they're watching a scary movie, and the one's dealing with some relationship issue with Travis. Yeah. Her boyfriend, I'm guessing. Who plays, what's a Call of Army? <laughs> Call of Army. <laughs> Call, <laughs> yeah. Again, just narrowly skirt, skirting past those copyright laws. Oh, have you guys not played Call of Army? Oh, is it a real thing? Do you play real... oh, You play yeah. Call of Army? Yeah? I play Call I of must, Army. I must have missed it at E3. Yeah. Uh yeah, you can you can get it on Steam. Oh, that's pretty good. I'll I'll check uh, it out after we finish <laughs> recording. Sorry, what happens in the in the tournament? They're watching the film and so they Daisy... they just arrive uh and they're planning on watching the film, but the one uh, one of them gets a text from Travis, and I love this text. It's the best thing ever. I had to pause the movie, and I wrote it down. Travis sends two texts. The first one is, I, and this is a direct quote, and please tell me if you can interpret this, but it, it says, mm-hmm. Dolphin, laugh, distract you. Come, come again? Dolphin, laugh distract you dolphin laugh yes the i'm assuming it's like uh what he's trying to convey is that the laughter of a dolphin is very distracting okay agreed agreed (laughs) (laughs) uh so i don't get where that's coming from but then there's another there's another oceanic reference in the next text where he says hey babe there's an ocean of man outside. And he was quite a manly ocean. Yeah, I mean, you could take a dip in him, I'm guessing. And they're in Arizona, right? So they're literally nowhere near the ocean. Maybe he just doesn't understand the term ocean, having never seen the ocean. It's actually very sad. <laughs> yeah. He meant to say there's a puddle of man outside. <laughs> it's my new new metal band. So in this, uh, the Tormentor, I saw a little bit of, and you can call it prejudice, you can call it whatever you want, but a little bit of a depiction of women in general as being extremely merciless and judgmental. Mm. And I would... I would feel that that indicates in some way an insecurity of the men portrayed in the film and their fear of of women and of their internal femininity. Because again, this story is being told by a man. Yes. So Yeah, so we are definitely getting another male perspective here. I mean, once again, it's striking at the male gaze. What mm. we or what males are perceive or supposed to perceive women as in a far gone time yeah and this film is kind of you know throwing that back as back into our faces saying this is what you think this is how fucking dumb you are um and it's very confrontational yeah on the male gaze just to give you an example there's a shot 
of two women standing. The one is in shot. You can see her head. You can see her face. She's on her phone. And the other woman in the shot, her head's out of shot. And all that you're seeing, and this is in the foreground, is you're seeing her chest. And that's very, mm. the, the shot is very much focused on that rather than the, the whole person standing in the background. And that's and it's a low-cut shirt as well, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, if, yeah. if anyone doesn't know what the male gaze is, they need to watch Fireside Tales, and they will know by the end. Yeah. And so what happens in the Tormentor? The guy kills people, and then it's over? Here's the thing. It's the Tormentor, but he doesn't torment anyone. Like, the first... The first person to run into him gets killed straight up. No torment, no psychological mm-hmm. torture going on. And I think the tormentor is not actually referring to the killer in this one, but referring yeah. to the woman in the story, to to the girl who uh, received the... I don't know her name. Daisy? Daisy? Daisy is the one who's on her phone. I don't know. You know how I'm usually terrible with names? Yeah. No, it's, it's gotten worse. Yeah. So Daisy, I think, is here seen as the tormentor because Travis is sending, sending these honestly heartfelt messages. Who mm. hasn't wanted to receive a message saying, Dolphin Laugh distract you from your loved one? And she clearly did not reply. I think in this skit, in this little story... The actual tormentor is Daisy, mm. which goes to show that this male storyteller is, in actuality, is terrified. Of women. Of women, yeah. You know, there might yet be another layer to add there, that the tormentor is, in fact, the storyteller by, once again, just rehashing the same story that we've seen twice now. You know, kind of torturing his audience you know, in film, as well as the broader audience. Yeah. Us. Could this almost be uh, like the play uh, No Exit, Mm. wherein this is actually hell for these people? They're literally just being forced to relive the same story, but with different names and basically only a different setting. But they are just reliving the story. And then in the end, the story bleeds into their reality and they all get slashed. Yeah, it, it definitely is kind of a hell is other people's shitty movie ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after this, interestingly, we get the first female storyteller. Yeah. And also the most uh, different of, of the uh, four stories. Yeah, it's the only true uh, creature feature in a sea of slashers. The story we're referring to, of course... Is called Where Skinwalkers Dare. Mm. Which I would good say is, flick. you know, a good, a good title. Yeah, it was better than axe-wielding bat... Well, it's actually not better than axe-wielding Batman. I'm actually going to get that tattooed on my forehead. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take a picture for you. <laughs> Thank you. So what happens in this one? In the story, we're introduced to our uh, protagonists... We have a female protagonist and a male protagonist. And the male is called Big Strong Chad. And this is repeated quite often. And it's sort of like a mantra. It's I believe that this guy has gone through some trauma and he's got some psychological damage. And he's just repeating Big Strong Chad, Big Strong Chad. You know, Big Strong Chad doesn't cry. Big Strong Chad doesn't show his emotion. Always to remember, be big, be strong. 
Be Chad. Be Chad. <laughs> Which I mean, once again, is is the male gaze. It's what the ma- what males need to idolize in this current time. And mm. you know, but then throughout the story, he gets traumatized, and he reaches that wall where he can't be big, strong Chad anymore. No. And then yeah. he breaks down into a more feminine, softer side, metrosexual. <laughs> <laughs> yes i would say uh, that's the perfect word it's fascinating how a skinwalker right is this shape-shifting super witch uh witch doctor type of thing and in this way chad himself is transforming into the metrosexual chad he is undergoing a shift just as uh his his girlfriend does when she Becomes a, a skinwalker sock puppet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she gets mildly eaten, I'm assuming. The skinwalker later wearing her skin or just sort of mimicking her appearance. Oh, so that's actually the second skin wearing story also in, in this film. Fo- in this film. That is true. I, I find that, yeah, the fourth one is the only one in which the villain is given any kind of motivation, which is quite lacking in the others why why do you guys think that in this story we are given something you know a little bit more to empathize with in the skinwalker rather than like the three previous stories well i think this is because it's the first story being told by a woman a female Mm. character so therefore it's not about like the sexual appeal it's more of trying to get to the story or creating a sense of horror, which is where horrors yeah. should be. You know, it's what slashes had way back in the beginning and have lost along the way. Yeah, so this is almost their their way of returning to form. Yeah, I would say that, you know, the way that the film has laid out is that we start off with a pretty average story. And as we work through the stories, they build up. Uh, in the first door, we have almost no gore. Uh, and then finally, yeah. towards the end, we start getting more blood, more, you know, the old typical slasher. And I think that's what they're trying to say is that, you know, the slasher, where it currently is, is lost. And, you know, to get back to slasher, the old slasher, we need to go back and reassess the values of the slasher genre. Do kind of a, 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 a stock take before moving on. Yeah. Yeah, it's in that way that... Uh... As slashers get mass-produced, like you were saying, it's almost like they were copied too much, it starts losing any emotional element, and horror truly exists in the emotional spectrum. It's not... You can be physically scared, but that's not going to stick with you. That's not going to be the mark of a good movie. The original Friday the 13th, Halloween, even Nightmare on Elm Street, this sort of thing, they were at their heart. They were psychologically gripping. Where the later sequels, they're all about just, you know, that quick fix, that instant sense of completion. Speaking of completion, this film comes to quite a uh, premature uh, ejaculate, I mean, completion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the, the, the film does pop off rather soon. It's also quite a short film. It's only an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Which is... That's fine. I was happy with that. It achieved its goals in that time uh, that that it was around. 
when the form does end, though, a new slasher shows up. And like we said earlier, all of the fireside storytellers are slashed. Yeah. This uh, new slasher is actually the only slasher whose mask is legitimately disturbing. Yeah, I, I would agree. Well, from my personal point of view, I would have loved to see more of that slasher. The way he held himself as a character, you know, you could see that if he were to have been in the film from the beginning, it would have been great because it's not, it's not really a slasher that we've seen before. I think that yeah. there could be greatness, great things. Yeah, because this slasher is also... He's uh, displaying sort of emotional content and his motivations. He's also, in a way, he's more emotional. He's not that hyper-masculine figure that we've been given in the previous tales before uh, the Skinwalker one, where the the killer is just this hyper-masculine boogeyman. And the real killer that comes in the end, he's sort of, he doesn't have a deep voice. He just... He honestly just seems like a terribly disturbed person. But see, that's that's these genius filmmakers playing their game with you because, you know, where a lesser filmmaker or some, you know, Hollywood mainstream big budget filmmaker would use the point where this film ends to catapult into the big climax where uh, the two remaining guys fight the slasher but here the filmmakers tell us no you don't get to see this you've had this enough is where it ends it's yeah it dead was quite now. the abrupt end and you know it kind of makes you feel a longing to and wishing that the the film was longer and that's what slasher should be you know they right at the very end they gripped you that's how they get you exactly what a movie guys uh there's just one last section i want to talk about is Mm. Uh, the the film ends quite abruptly, and we cut to credits. Right, the right. credits roll for a little while. There's a staticky effect on the screen, which I found kind of jarring, but that's okay. I mean, uh, it's a horror film. It should be slightly jarring. And then the static cuts out to this creepy home video of what turns out to be Donna's parents being murdered by... By the actual slasher yeah. at the end of the film. And that is the the way it's shot. It's very voyeuristic. It's it's a handheld camera. It is it is actually disturbing because it's he's like right outside the window. He's peeking in. You know the the father's back is turned to yeah. him, and he's maybe ten centimeters away from him. And they don't register that this maniac is so close to them. The danger is so close. Yeah, a, a, another brave move by the filmmakers to keep the best part of the movie till after the credits. Pioneering, even. Yeah, Blair Witch didn't do that. Something that I picked up, like a a theme that was kind of running through the whole film, was the sense that these are male storytellers, and the big feeling that I got from their stories was that they're all about these hyper-masculine males, very uh, phallus-obsessed males, who fail to protect the woman in their lives. And in the sort of in the metric that these people exist in, that's mm. kind of what the males are for. Other than, you know, insulting each other's dick length, they're there to be protecting the females. Yeah. At which yeah. they failed dismally. Yeah, and they failed time and time again. And 
this is the big insecurity that's being touched on with these characters and also in the traditional slasher because it was always about you know it doesn't matter if you're a star athlete there's no way you're gonna stop the slasher it's inevitable that you will fail and the people you love will suffer uh yeah whereas in this case it's it's so sped up that it's you know it's almost instant you you just die right away yeah there's no chance for escape or fighting back at all and i think that's also what this film is trying to say is that that's why the slasher genre itself is dead because that insecurity uh is no longer valid that insecurity comes from a place in the patriarchy where the large part of of western society isn't there anymore yeah definitely well hopefully well yeah yeah that this is me being wishful showing my wishful thinking <laughs> yeah. positive thank, side thank positive goodness side. we've moved on uh, yeah <laughs> brent any uh any last words on this one where it ended and where it got to, and what we found out through the filmmakers' ideology of what they portray slashes was fairly on the nose and and quite good. If you had to rate it on a scale of one to four masked killers, how many masked killers would you uh, give this film? I'd give it five masked killers because of the fifth wow. masked killer. Oh, damn, was breaking great. the scale. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's some experimental scoring. I like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like it. Very, very original. Uh, I would give it one nuclear family of masked killers. So that would be 4.5, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure what, what, a, what a real family is anymore. I don't think it exists. It, it, it was this funny thing that they suggested in the 50s and... I think it was an ideal and it just sort of never happened. But yeah, yeah. so a little nuclear family, maybe two two masked parents and two masked children, maybe a masked uh, beagle. Aww, that's so cute. The cutest death. Louis, how would you rate the Fireside Tales? I'd give this film two bloated boys drifting up from the bottom of the lake. <laughs> Great <answer. laughs> with uh you know with teeth sticking out the sides of their their head nowhere close to their mouth yes <laughs> cheek teeth gotta have them cheek cheek teeth yeah, yeah yeah you can eat you can eat three plates of food at the same time yeah exactly think of the time you'll save <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah who needs several hands when you have three mouths <laughs> <laughs> or just a uh, bowl, L- yeah. large bowl. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. So remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can find me. I'm Fraser Tronji on Instagram too. If you're interested in in me, just not in the podcast, but be interested in the podcast. I don't even know what I'm saying. Uh, then <laughs> <laughs> rate and subscribe. You know, if you already subscribed, show this to your gran. Show this to your uncle. Yeah. Uh, but wait for them to be liquored up. Not that I'm saying your gran drinks much, but she should. You know, just but she relax. Does. Yeah, she does. Uh, because I checked. She does. I know your gran. No, I don't. I can't say that. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. And as always, to everyone in lovely listener town, you stay scary. Be big. Be strong. Be positive. Nice.
<laughs> so, oh, guys, this movie, it was so funny. Just the, the quotes in it, it's like, Dolphin laugh distract you. 